0: Welcome to Scavengers Horde, a Star Wars podcast offering news, analysis and commentary. I'm Rachel.
1: And I'm Kirsty.
0: This is episode one hundred and forty six and it's fifteenth of november twenty twenty.
1: And how has your week in Star Wars been, Rachel?
0: Nice and chill, nice and relaxed. Um, I was proud of you, Kirsty. You've got a nice viral tweet going from the Twitter <laughs> account. Like when I saw all the notifications on my phone in the morning, and I was like, "What's happened?" Because basically, we have the Scavengers' Horde Twitter account. Both of us have access to it, but Kirsty does more of the tweeting than me usually. And so she'll post something while I'm asleep, and then I'll wake up, and there'll just be this bombardment of notifications, and it'll be like, "Wow, what's Kirsty done now?" It really is just down to the material I was given, so... It's a beautiful tweet, it deserved to go viral. It's comparing the Mon Calamari wearing like a lovely sweater, I suppose, or a jersey, however you like to call it, um, at the start of The Mandalorian, chapter 11, The R.S. comparing that with um, Chris Evans in Knives Out.
1: I mean, I can barely tell the difference.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. I think the only question mark is which actor is better looking. Um <laughs> But yeah, that's going to be subjective, (laughs) beauties in the eye of the beholder. But yeah, how about you, Kirsty? You been alright?
1: Really, aside from Chapter 11, I haven't had much Star Wars in my life this week.
0: (laughs) Yeah, busy with other things, it's safe to say. Um, But yeah, to be honest, there's not been much going on beyond Chapter 11, The Heiress. So I think that's all fair and good.
1: There's been a bit of baby Yoda drama
0: yes oh god yeah how did i erase that from my mind <laughs>
1: it's for the best not to diminish the feelings that anyone has about well, we were talking about it last week right how yeah. it felt kind of weirdly tonally discordant that they wanted us to laugh at something as well as MFIs with this new character and mm. um, thankfully as we'll get into in the story it wraps it up all nicely and we feel good about it but the the way people have been responding and harassing like people who were just expressing it on their own timeline like oh i found this kind of weird and i guess if you think about it too much it's a little potentially insensitive to people who are struggling to have kids of their own and it's weird that they want us to care about this character but then also laugh at the fact that these are her last eggs and baby Yoda's just eaten them like candy
0: Yeah, no, no, I know exactly what you're saying and and I think it was ultimately just all proven to be so ridiculous because basically some people from Lucasfilm who shall not be named were like mocking the idea that some people took offence at this, you know, the idea that Baby Yoda was eating the frog lady's eggs. Um, and then in this episode it like completely did a turnabout and there was none of that business going on with eating eggs and it was all treated in a much more respectable and compassionate fashion so basically if those people from Lucasfilm had said nothing in the interim between the two episodes I think that most of the people who like were upset by how like the previous episode, had treated baby Audrey eating the eggs, etc. I think most of those people would have probably been made happy by how it was resolved in the end to Frog Lady's arc.
1: The scale of the upset was literally just people talking amongst themselves, like, "Oh, did you find this a bit weird? I found it a bit uncomfortable, but I can't quite put my finger on why." And you know, fans just being fans discussing the episode. Yeah. And as you say, if if no one at Lucasfilm had said anything, I mean, and, and this is kind of. Uh, we were talking about it last season, that it this is kind of the what's going to happen with um, a season that's coming out week by week as opposed to being available to stream and binge the entire thing in one go as you would on Netflix or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, if they'd have just said nothing or if they'd have just said, well, maybe wait until next week, winky face, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think maybe, and I, this is just me kind of speculating but i have a feeling that maybe what actually bothered them was people saying that more women should be involved and maybe there's just this huge imbalance of cis men writing and directing star wars and Mm. potentially certain storylines and the way certain things are handled would be handled differently if more women and you know anyone who doesn't identify as a cis man Mm. were involved I don't know how anyone could argue with that, honestly. Like, I thought it was kind of agreed upon that there there is not enough diversity in yeah. in who gets to write and direct Star Wars. I kind of thought that was a given.
0: Yeah, so Kathleen Kennedy has accepted that that's the case and said she's trying to do more to change it in terms of getting more like diverse creators on board for Star Wars. And The Mandalorian has taken some steps towards that with having female and people of color directors get involved. But yeah, if you look at the writing credits, I believe that every single episode of The Mandalorian has been written by a cis man. Mm. So, yeah, there's lots of room for improvement, basically. And yeah, as Kirsty said, some people clearly took offence at that suggestion. Someone might have produced a tweet with lots of screen grabs showing producing credits for women <laughs> um, on Mandalorian I'm episodes, sorry. which is completely weak source. And it's like, and? Um, yeah it's disappointing exactly so it wasn't a good vibe like I tried to stay out of that because I was just like so just tiresome you know I don't want that to be my engagement with Star Wars but yeah the main reason it was disappointing was because it was so unnecessary and as Kirsty said it was just people having discussions amongst themselves and then it being blown up into this huge thing as if people were launching petitions asking them to change the episode which absolutely not what was happening and yeah it was just all very silly
1: yeah and i just think it's interesting again like we've said before what issues in fandom lucasfilm choose to dive into and what they choose to ignore yep and um there's ongoing stuff with gina carano being a bigot and there has been absolutely nothing so um yeah we still haven't met her character so far this season but she'll be coming up eventually
0: yeah I have a feeling she's coming next week to be honest me too I'm preparing for that
1: yeah because he's going to need to get that ship repaired so I think he's going to go back to a home base
0: yeah exactly like okay so let's move into the episode um, which I know we've already vaguely been talking about in relation to the discourse that was happening in the last week what were your overall thoughts on chapter 11 the heiress Kirsty
1: I enjoyed it um, I think that Bryce Dallas Howard is a, a wonderful director um, yeah. and I think she brings a lot of warmth and emotion to um, the character relationships, which we've said before is kind of um, missing uh, in, in other areas of the show. Um, just like with chapter four that she did, The Sanctuary, you get, you know, you get more human faces, which is great, um, but you also just get like a, a more nuanced sense of the emotion of the characters too. Um, And she had to do a lot of heavy lifting in this episode because there was a lot of exposition as well. And I think maybe that's why one of the reasons I didn't love it as much as the previous episode. And I think that might be a controversial take because I think some people loved this episode and maybe enjoyed last week, but it was a bit weird. Um, Mm. But um, obviously there were some favorite characters from the animated series um, turning up here and being mentioned And it kind of brought people closer again to that main plot of the series. Maybe taking it in some unexpected ways, but um, I'm sure that really appealed to a lot of people. So I I enjoyed it, but the actual plot of this episode specifically in terms of like the mission that they were doing with taking down that Imperial ship and getting the weapons and everything, I, I didn't love that stuff. I didn't think that was the most engaging thing. It was more about like being introduced to these new characters. And of course... My primary thing going into this episode was wanting to make sure that Frog Lady was okay and reunited with her husband and having a baby. And that did happen. So I'm very happy in that regard. I think that was handled beautifully.
0: Yeah, I really loved everything with the frog parents. (laughs) Like the scene where they're reunited at the start of the episode was just like, chef's kiss. Yeah, and it has like a lovely romantic musical theme as well. I think that's when Star Wars is at its best, basically. It's when it's taking like characters or visuals that would just be completely ridiculous in any other context but it treats them with dignity in a weird way and it feels strange to say it but i do think that's it because it's just so sincere and earnest that you sort of like suspend the reality of how ludicrous it all is from your mind and you're like <laughs> oh look at them they're back together i'm so so happy for them yeah in terms of my general thoughts i think i'm broadly aligned with you I might have enjoyed the Imperial stuff a bit more than you. What they were doing wasn't particularly interesting, but the characters were, and the situation that the characters were in was interesting. But yeah, like overall, it was a very different type of episode from the previous one. I feel like um, Chapter 10 was very much like a fable. You know, there was something very like fantastical and simple and magical about it. And I feel it was really strong because it wasn't trying to do too much heavy lifting you know, and I actually enjoyed the humble nature of it, you know, like the fact that it was just a small story about the Mandalorian and Frog Lady and them going on a journey together. And this one, I really did enjoy it. And it was really interesting to see, like the arrival of Bo-Katan, for example, and her fellow Mandalorians. Yeah, that was really cool to see. But I think overall there was perhaps too much going on And I feel like it was so rushed and frantic that there wasn't much room to breathe. And I don't think it was a problem with the direction, because I think in almost every other respect, it was very well directed. I think it was more just in terms of the script. They were like, oh, wow, we need to push all this plot in there right now. It left it feeling a bit breathless, I suppose, whereas the previous episode was all about time to breathe, you know, and just spending time with the characters. As George Lucas would say, faster and more intense. <laughs> yes, that's very true.
1: <laughs> Which is definitely up a lot of fans' alleys, so it's not, you know, it's definitely not a bad thing. We're just kind of comparing the episodes week by week, because that's what you're going to do, isn't it?
0: Exactly, yeah. And I think it's just a bit jarring, maybe, to have such a different episode after the last one. You know, there was like n- almost no like progression. And obviously we did have the linkage of the frog lady and meeting her frog husband and that lovely reunion. So that was crossover from last time. But in terms of the type of plot, it was just so vastly different. that It was mm. like, yeah, like the- and that's the nature of the show, you know. And that's like both a strength and a weakness because it's a bit like a pick-a-mix you know, there are certain episodes that can be really appealing to some people and not so much to others and then vice versa. So yeah, but like, I feel like I'm being too down on it because I honestly did really enjoy the episode. It was just a bit frantically paced, I think, and I felt a bit breathless by the end of it.
1: I think there were just so many lovely details to pick out. So even though, as I said, I didn't love like the fact that again, they almost had this like video, video game aspect to it where it's like, well, first you have to help us with our mission. And it's like, again? Yes. <laughs> you know, you, yeah, you're not even trying that to so hide that. have so many times
0: now. It's a bit ridiculous. <laughs> with, it's just the fact that
1: it was laid out there in the dialogue like that. Okay, well, we'll help you. But first you have to help us with our mission. It's like, oh, really? Because <laughs> <laughs> you just met this guy. <laughs> but he's, he's happy to help. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: Yeah, it is quite funny. He's, like, turning into, like, an intergalactic jack-of-all-trades, isn't he? He'll just do whatever.
1: (laughs) But, you know, he got the information he needed, so we'll see what happens with that. Now he's off. Exactly. Um, He's been
0: directed on his merry way. mm -hmm. Um, Cool. So do you want to go through the episode, like, in terms of the plot quickly and, like, cover the main beats and talk about them?
1: Sure, yeah. So when it first started and they were doing that emergency landing, immediately it was drawn to the fact that Frog Lady finds those eggs to be very precious. She was kept like looking back at them. She was clutching them and he was like, you need to come and help me push this lever, hold it down. And she was like, okay. But she kept looking back at the eggs and like trying to hold them at the same time. And I was like, bless this poor woman.
0: Yeah. No, like, and I really loved that sort of stuff. Like it's a real credit to the performer as well. You know, like, They give Frog Lady so much texture and so much depth as a character, Mm -hmm. even though you can't tell what she's saying, apart from when she speaks as Richard Eowardy, which is lovely, but you don't get any of that in this episode. And yeah, she's just very expressive. And I must say that all of those moments where they showed Frog Lady panicking and worried about her eggs... Like, they'd often, like, do, like, a little cut to Baby Yoda, you know, because you could still tell he wanted to eat those eggs in certain yeah. scenes in this episode. And I was like, do not eat those eggs. Do not <laughs> eat those eggs. Well, Mando And is I was even so like... glad when he didn't.
1: He's even like, I know you're hungry. We'll get you some food. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> finally, thank you for recognizing that you need to feed your child.
0: <laughs> Progress. Yeah, no, so that was really lovely.
1: And he has that interaction with the... The Mon Cala that we were talking about, the Calamari. He's talking to him about how he needs to fix the ship, and he's like, "Well, I can I can make it fly again, but I can't promise that it'll look good." And yeah. it's just it's just so funny to see these aliens that we know. I mean, that's you know, it's Admiral Akbar, obviously, is the Mon Calamari that we know from the original trilogy, and they're in these like impressive, authoritative roles within the military, and then this guy is just like working on the dock and they've got the fisherman's sweaters on it's great yeah it's a blue
0: collar worker
1: <laughs> and at the beginning i was just like oh i just it's really nice to see quarren and mon calamari working side by side because you know in the clone wars they're really not getting on very well and we know they've had like several battles on their planet to kind of decide who who's going to be more on top i guess um and then They're both kind of enslaved by the Empire, but yeah, it's just kind of nice to see them in this like simple working environment. And I was like, wow, the Quarren are being cool. That didn't last long.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like that was quite funny to me as well. I kind of see that coming from a a mile away, to be honest. I was like, they just look so evil. They look so villainous.
1: You didn't trust them. I was like, oh, this is cute in like a Pirates of the Caribbean way. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> you're very trusting compared to me, clearly, Kirsty. Um, and I think to be fair, for me, like um, you're like better with these species names than I am as well. Because I look at the quarren and I still just, just think squid face because that's what they were known as. I mean, like, yeah, I they are on the toys. Um, and it's a very literal and accurate description. Like again, I also liked the whole way that the quarrens are just depicted as these like pirates you know that was so funny to me and one
1: of them even says I <laughs>
0: yes with the broad accents as well and it's especially funny for me because I'm from the west country in the UK and pirate accents are basically west country accents but very exaggerated <laughs> and so now I'm like the best car is ours
1: <laughs> we're rich brothers <laughs> yo ho
0: And that sort of shit is why I love The Mandalorian, because it's so silly, but so good and lovely as well. And I just realised we completely brushed over the reunion. I know we talked about that a bit at the beginning, but yeah, my heart, it was just so relieved and so happy for her. And I especially love the way both the frog people are shown just to be like smiling. And again, it's just cute and it could be creepy. It could be so, so creepy, but they dodged that bullet. And yeah, they did such a good job.
1: Yeah, there's that amazing shot where she's running towards him and she's just smiling so widely and <laughs> looks so happy. And then they both get down on the floor and they're hugging and then they have the eggs and they're touching them and like, yay, we made it, we're all back together. Yeah. And Din and Baby are just looking on. It's, it's lovely.
0: Yeah. It's so that could have so been the whole episode
1: and I would have been happy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, like I... Because really that has got to be like an alternate timeline where you do literally just see what the frog parents, the eggs and baby Yoda are all doing together. Because we see little snatches of that, but obviously most of the episode is not spent on that. And I always feel like a reverse episode where you get like little snatches of Mando and the other Mandalorians. And then the majority of it is Baby Yoda and the Frog People. Oh my god, yeah. Like, I, I would edition. really take that Baby Yoda and Frog People episode, to be honest. That would be great.
1: <laughs> I did not expect to see them again after they leave the dock. I thought that was it. And then, of course, he has to take Baby back to... They need to babysit when he goes on this mission. Yeah. That was a really nice surprise. I was like, oh, cool. We're getting a look at their domestic situation.
0: <laughs> yeah. It was really lovely. And I especially loved that Baby Yoda got to see the eggs starting to hatch. And yes, obviously he sees one of the like frog children like develop into like an actual little creature in a bowl and stuff and becomes friends and I like I hate to think this but my mind was thinking I hope this makes you realize what you did. I hope this makes you realize what you took from these people. I mean
1: maybe. But it's also you know we know that they're okay and they have their baby now. Of um, course. But there's that great shot of him yeah looking in as one of them hatches and he's got like a, a look of wonder on his face so yeah as you say maybe he is realizing oh it's people not food
0: yeah i need to be less judgmental because i kind of get the sense that baby Oda has like the mind of a two-year-old as in like a human two-year-old well he is 50 <laughs> <laughs> they clearly have very stunted development Kirsty. Oh, my God! Although maybe he's like hiding this like secret super intellect like to like maintain this innocent facade. who knows another
1: thing I appreciate about the Mandalorian in general that is missing from the rest of Star Wars, really is the amount of time we see them kind of eating or drinking or like sitting in these taverns, whatever you'd call them, yeah, uh, um, it's just really nice, like oh, a cup of chowder for my friend,
0: <laughs> yeah, no it, I love it too, and it's nice because they. have such imaginative ways of depicting the food. Like, it's never straightforward in Star Wars. It's never just, like, a nice bowl of cereal. Like, in this episode, the chowder includes, like, a little squid as well that's, like, also a face hugger (laughs) that touches itself to Baby Yoda's face. And I'm watching that and panicking, and everyone in the context of the episode is super chill, super calm. It's clearly perfectly normal to them. And I'm like, but it's choking the baby! (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, like, I guess it's just that Star's eccentricity, but like, it does freak me out a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess really the main attraction from this episode and what most people are talking about in relation to it, apart from the frog people, so that's clearly the main thing, um, is the return of Bo-Katan. And she also has two other Mandalorians with her, who are Cosca Reeves and Axe-Woves. Sorry, Star's <laughs> names. It's Star Wars names, guys. They're silly. They are fundamentally silly. Um, and they're also not said in the episode, which is why I'm saying them like an idiot. Um, but yeah, so we see meet three new Mandalorians, and obviously Bo-Katan was introduced in the Clone Wars originally, the animated series. And am I right to think that um, Katie Sakoff also voiced her in the Clone Wars? Is that right, Kirsty?
1: Yes, and I knew that, but I didn't realise until this episode that she also played Starbuck in Battlestar Galactica.
0: Like, ah, that's where cool. I know
1: her face. Yeah. So I was like, oh, it's her! I didn't know.
0: <laughs> and it all came together. <laughs>
1: yeah, and she's great. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I honestly, I haven't watched that many episodes with Bo-Katan in because she doesn't arrive until season four, and I've just got to season four. Last right. night, I skipped ahead to season five to watch an episode of... Of that that she was into. too um, but I I don't know her as well as other fans will uh, so I'm wondering how this plays for people who are really already invested in that character and for people who don't have a clue who bo is you know
0: yeah so I want to do yeah. more reading in that because yeah I do feel like this season is going increasingly into deep cuts for um Clone Wars fans and I feel like there's re- a real cool element in that. You know, I think for the people who've seen the Clone Wars, like it must be very thrilling, you know, because now we've seen Bo-Katan, we're clearly going to see Ahsoka because she is the person that the Mandalorian is being directed to in this episode. And those are obviously very significant, important characters in the Clone Wars mythos, but I'm not sure how well known they are among people who have not seen the Clone Wars All Rebels, because obviously I know Ahsoka is in Rebels as well um is katan and Rebels too. Yes. Okay, thank you. Um I
1: do have this like growing suspicion that Jon Favreau is kind of mostly pulling the Mandalorian stuff from the Clone Wars episodes that he was actually in. Right. Which I guess makes sense cuz that's what he would kind of know. But you know, so he was Pre Vizsla who's the the leader of Death Watch when Bo-Katan is in there too, which adds an interesting layer to what she's talking about with Din. I know I'm jumping ahead a bit, but like when she she realizes that he's one of the children of the watch, um, she has this like look of sympathy and I think she kind of she's able to empathize with him maybe a bit more than the average Mandalorian would, because she's had a taste of that zealotry and um that pride that these kind of Mandalorians take in in their history as warriors yeah. um and it's yeah it's interesting because for anyone with like a passing knowledge of mandalorians like like you even people who don't have necessarily have watched the clone wars or rebels but were aware that there are plenty of mandalorians who take their helmets off like you know Sabine is a main character in rebels she takes her helmet off all the time sure. we knew that that was like that was a typical thing for mandalorians so when this show started it was like huh wonder why he's not taking his helmet off and it's just this is the way you know that's the answer but i wonder how this is playing for people who had no idea about all of that stuff and genuinely thought that that was what mandalorians were about yeah you'd be coming at it from a completely different perspective you'd be almost more in din's perspective in that scene
0: yeah, I did actually see just before we started recording that apparently there are some people saying that Bo-Katan is not a true Mandalorian because she takes mm. her helmet off. Yeah. And yeah, I can only imagine that those people have not watched any of the animated series and are like, skewing towards the Mandalorian's perspective. like Because obviously on the basis of the TV show, that is this very serious condition about what it means to be Mandalorian. The fact that you never show your face... And I'm very interested to see how that is taken forward and explored, because it is a really interesting idea, because from the way that Bo-Katan perceives Din in this episode, she clearly understands him to be a member of an extreme cult, basically. So like very much a fringe group that represents a minority of Mandalorians.
1: And he had no idea yeah exactly as far as he
0: was concerned the way he was brought up that was the way that all mandalorians were he's very conflicted about it and very disorientated because he doesn't he almost like can't compute what these people are saying to him because it's so anti-ethical to everything he's always understood about himself and yeah it's just really really it's just a really interesting dynamic and I think if it does it right, you know, if it really sees this as a story about radicalization and brainwashing and explores how that can be deprogrammed, you know, and how you can learn another way, I think that would be really interesting. So I'm curious to see if it goes there.
1: Yeah. I swear, we kept saying last year when we were watching the first season that this is the way does not necessarily sound like a good thing.
0: Mm. Like, does
1: it have to be the way? Is it the only way? can Bo-Katan show him that no it isn't because yeah as we said like fans have known from the animated series that a lot of Mandalorians have no trouble removing their helmets and it it just makes me feel rather sad for Din (laughs) that he's lived that life of isolation and not shown his face to others and that is always considered like a sad thing in Star Wars right like that you're kind of cutting yourself off from the rest of humanity um so I, I do hope we see him take those steps to take it off whenever he feels comfortable. Yeah. Um. But they do have to tread carefully because I do feel like there are some potential real world parallels that they they need to be conscious of here.
0: Yeah. Um. It needs very sensitive handling, I think yeah. it's safe to say. Yeah, I'm
1: just thinking about him saying this is the way, kind of sadly, to Amira in Bryce's season one episode when she wanted to see his face. And my chipper heart, I'm like, maybe he'll find his way back to her. Yeah, there is another way <laughs>
0: <laughs> that could become his new slogan. I'd like that.
1: <laughs> um yeah, I really hope we start to see Din wrestle with that revelation next week because I know this way, obviously, I kind of as soon as they said it, I was like, oh, he's just going to like fly off somewhere and kind of avoid this discussion, right? Because that's going to be pretty devastating to hear. But he also. He kind of accepts what they're telling him in a way because then they come back later um, when the Quarren kind of corner him on back on the dock and they're like, you killed my brother, now I'm going to kill your pet. Um, they come and save him then again and then take him for a drink. And he's sitting there talking to them and they don't have their helmets on. And he, he is kind of taking them at face value at that point and he agrees to go on the mission with them. He's obviously not happy when they change the terms, but he, he's pretty accepting pretty quickly
0: yeah no they clearly find a kind of peace with each other don't they
1: yeah so i think he know he trusts them on a level he knows that they're telling him the truth he just kind of needs to uh sit and think about it a bit more and think about the implications of his life because you know we saw those flashbacks building up over the first season of him being rescued and i i guess that was you know a member of Death watch or I- we we don't know much about the children of the Watch beyond what's said in this episode, but I guess it's kind of an offshoot of Death Watch, maybe. By it the makes name?
0: sense. Like that. That's what confused me. So I was looking that up before we started recording. You know, so I wanted to understand how Death Watch and the Watch were interrelated. And it seems unclear. Basically, mm. it seems like there isn't a clear answer. I'm sure that the people at Lucasfilm have something in mind for how those things are interconnected, but it hasn't been clearly conveyed at the moment Um, because yeah like it does very much strike me as like the fracturing of a religion you know which you see in like almost every major religion you know you get sex and you get divisions like protestants and catholics then a thousand different denominations of protestants and so on and so forth you know i I feel like something similar has happened with mandalorian culture
1: i just noticed when they rescued him the first time with baby yoda on on the boat There's this, I don't know if it's intentional, but I recognised it as a parallel of Bo-Katan pulling Din out of the water and the shot kind of lingers on their hands with that running flashback last season when he's kind of pulled out of, what would you call it, that little cellar thing that his parents put him into.
0: Yeah, it's Heidi hole, I guess.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so he's rescued by a member of Death Watch there. Is he going to be saved again by this kind of reunion with the Mandalorians? And she says, you know, we're stronger when we're together, but we've been kind of divided by external forces and that was strategic
0: yeah no i really hope that it's all built into some sort of more significant reunion between the different splinters of the mandalorians you know because ultimately it does seem to be a very ritualistic thing you know that's keeping them apart this idea of having to wear the helmet at all times Mm -hmm. ultimately that shouldn't be so significant when they have like these much bigger external opposing forces that they need to overcome
1: so can I just say that Bo-Katan looks really good for her age
0: (laughs) yeah like how old would she be around the time of this episode
1: I don't know exactly but like somewhere on a level with Obi-Wan
0: surely yeah like I don't know this is complicated isn't it because she's the sister of Satine who was the love interest of Obi-Wan and I always assumed she was about the the same age
1: I don't actually know
0: yeah, it's like, yeah, it's a mess. Like, I guess, charitably, if she was a significantly younger sister to the teen, she could be like in her late 40s, early 50s. But even if she's that, she still looks damn good. So, yeah, <laughs> congratulations, Brokatan. You've got a great skincare regime.
1: Yeah. I thought just this episode in general deals with that, that theme of zealotry really. In a lot of different ways, because of course, when we get to the Imperials, that stuff is really compelling, isn't it? In terms of the fact that we we know that the Empire has technically fallen at this point, but they're still holding on desperately.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. I found that stuff really interesting. And perhaps the sequence that all the stuff on the Imperial Freighter reminded me of most strongly was the Vader hallway sequence from Rogue One.
1: Yeah, it was very Rogue One.
0: Yeah, it was basically this idea of this like offensive force completely motoring through all your defences without mercy, <laughs> essentially. And it looks terrifying. But obviously it was flipped, because in Rogue One, it was Darth Vader as the vengeful force that was like wiping out all the rebels. And here, it was our heroes, it was the Mandalorians, wiping out all the stormtroopers in the Imperials. And obviously we know that the Imperials are allied with very bad causes and they're like the evil ones, so to speak, in the context of Star Wars. But I found it interesting the way how human we saw them to be in some respects. You know, Mm -hmm. there's lots of panic, there's lots of disorganisation and you really do get the sense that these are people who know that they've lost, basically. That they've kind of had their spirit crushed already and they're still working for this cause. But like the spirit and the vigor aren't there anymore, you know, and I I find that dynamic really fascinating, you know, because that is all the origin point of the First Order as well. And yeah, like I, I really liked seeing those Imperial characters. And honestly, in that end sequence, so like the latter half of the episode, I was more interested in seeing the Imperials than I was seeing the Mandalorians. <laughs> Might be vaguely sacrilegious, and no, probably I, says more I don't about think me. So
1: no, because it's it's a a look at that stuff that we haven't seen too much of so far this season. Yeah, and I thought the echoing, like long live the Empire. I thought that was an interesting echo to this is the way this like fanaticism and adherence to something that looks back as opposed to forward and i think that has a lot of um real world parallels right now too.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I felt really sorry for the pilots as well and the shuttle because as the Mandalorians get closer and essentially the off- the commanding officer on board the Imperial Freighter realizes it's helpless and is basically told by Moff Gideon that they're not going to get any reinforcements or help, he realizes that he has to kill his men, basically. So he shoots these two pilots in front of him And then he tries to, like, down the ship in this, like, kamikaze maneuver. Um, And obviously he's stopped from doing that by the Mandalorians because otherwise they'd all be dead and that would be the end of the show. Um, But I thought that was really intriguing. It went to a very dark place and I feel like the Mandalorian isn't usually willing to go to that sort of space, you know, with... The idea that these people are so fanatical and so indoctrinated by their belief in the Empire and what it stands for, that they're willing to kill others and themselves for the sake Mm -hmm. of this cause. So, yeah, it was quite chilling.
1: And in the background, of course, there's this sense of ultimate futility. Because one, we know the First Order is already kind of gathering forces, but also Palpatine's still around. (laughs) 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 it's just palpatine's lurking
0: in the shadows going
1: yeah it's like there are already multiple backup plans and you guys are completely redundant but this is your way this this is what you've dedicated your lives to you know nothing else you don't know how to go off and live a free life and you're willing to sacrifice yourselves for this for a cause that ultimately means nothing exactly It's it's only caused pain and destruction in the in the galaxy
0: the most disturbing thing about those pilots is that they didn't even get a choice in their own deaths it's like looking at how they were acting i very much got the impression that if the mandalorians had given them an option you know like answer our questions and we'll send you to a prison set you free whatever i think they would have chosen that over fanatical adherence to the empire you know and i think that's part of why the commanding officer killed them you know yeah they're the lackeys
1: not the true believers
0: yeah, exactly. And I was like, those poor young men. And obviously I know there's lots of young people who've died in the wars, but I think there are sad losses on both sides in Star Wars and the episodes went some way towards demonstrating that. Yeah, so there was lots to enjoy and appreciate in the episode, I think, it's safe to say. Um, how do you feel, knowing that we are definitely going to see Ahsoka at some point in this season now? Um,
1: I don't feel much about it probably sounds weird to people who are (laughs)
0: because
1: it's all it's all on how it's done for me like i'm sure there are plenty of fans who are hardcore Ahsoka fans who are that's their primary like wow i'm so excited about that sure um yeah it kind of just comes down to how it's done i i do wonder when din finally gets to that planet she might not be there you know there's no guarantee
0: (laughs) oh my god that'd be so funny (laughs) that would be like um carmen santiago (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I do have where is, is the world is Ahsoka Tano?
1: <laughs> blind speculation but what if Ahsoka is in the episode when they meet Boba again and she like thinks that he's Rex or something
0: oh, or it could
1: be Rex I don't know
0: Yeah, that would have to be a very deep cut they'd have to find like quite an ingenious way of conveying that to a casual audience what that means
1: not necessarily I feel like there's a lot of stuff going on in this show that is kind of glossed over people's heads
0: yeah I think that's fair
1: I would like to talk to someone who hasn't watched the animated series, but also might not even be aware that they exist. You know, like just doesn't have any sense of who these characters are or what the Mandalorian's about or, yeah, who Ahsoka is or there are are all these clones that she would have had relationships with. Like, yeah. Yeah. I have found out that one of my
0: colleagues is watching the show um, and like she said that she's very acutely aware that she's missing a good chunk of what's going on. Because right. Because she's not familiar with the animated shows. Yeah, I'll have to like give her a survey or something. <laughs> like ask how much did this mean to you, <laughs> and come back and report on the results like it's a scientific research endeavor.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I'm still not done watching the Clone Wars myself, but I am kind of interested now to see the evolution of Bo Katan and Ahsoka's relationship that would get them to this point because. When they meet, it's really not under good circumstances. You know, right. they're enemies. Like she's part of Death Watch and considers the Jedi the enemy. Um, but then, as the series progresses, they work together in various ways. So, yeah, there's there's uh, again, we're missing some of the emotional context, the significance of her, I guess, knowing where Ahsoka is and and directing Din to her. Yeah, um, that that must mean something to other fans. So.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely feel it would be a much richer viewing experience if I had seen the Clone Wars, I must say. And yeah, I guess we should also mention that one of the main things that Bo-Katan is interested in pursuing in this episode is the Darksaber, which we know Moff Gideon has, because the final shot of season one in very dramatic fashion lingers on Moff Gideon having the Darksaber. Um But yeah, it's interesting that now we know that Gabo katan is alive so it's not like she died and then the dark saber like mysteriously ended up in moff gideon's hands it's clearly that she lost it or it was stolen from her somehow so yeah she clearly has quite intense feelings about that weapon
1: mm-hmm. yeah because i saw some people debating uh the earlier conversation she has with the mandalorian about them taking about mandalore she's a bit more vague about who she wants to actually be the leader but then when she gets down to talking about the dark saber it's like i need that to rule right so i think she does intend to reinstate herself right
0: yeah yeah no, i saw um, some comparisons to daenerys and trying to reclaim her lost kingdom yeah and stuff and i get the feeling that that is the sort of arc that they want to go for so i'm sure we'll see bo katan again Basically, oh, She yeah. feels like way too important a character to be a one hit wonder.
1: <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see in what context she comes back in, like whether it's once he's found Ahsoka or like what planet they'll be on at that point and whether that is kind of when they they all confront Moff Gideon.
0: Yeah, so I feel like introducing the concept of Bo Katan and her trying to get her throne back, I feel like there has to be some bigger end game, you know, because obviously, right now the main goal of the Mandalorian is to reunite the child with the Jedi. That's his purpose. And there's only like a limited shelf life on that storyline, you know. So I feel like we are going to gradually progress into a bigger storyline about trying to reclaim Mandalore. And there being a power struggle over that.
1: Yeah, and that fits with Din's personal story, right? That um, he's grown up with this assumption of what being a Mandalorian is actually all about. And it turns out that that is now being challenged and if you know is there one way to be a mandalorian no that's that that is the answer and that might be difficult for him to wrap his head around um it might make the world more complex but the world is complex people have differences but it doesn't mean they can't come together um yeah it's gonna be really good to see that play out and i just as you've said before I hope that does mean we get to see more of Pedro Pascal's face, ultimately. <laughs> oh, because, please, please. you know, he's a very talented actor and he has a high profile and Disney shareholders and Disney execs are probably like, maybe show his face a bit more.
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I also feel like Pedro's agent is asking for that as well. It's like, please let people know this great actor is responsible for this <laughs> character. It would be like pretty good for us. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so I hope that happens eventually um, but yeah no, it's another good episode and I think safe to say we both enjoyed it and it sets up some very interesting story engines for the rest of the season I should say mm-hmm. because I feel like the first few episodes like they weren't particularly contributing to the overriding plot of the show and this one definitely was so I feel like there's a lot more possibilities now for where they can go
1: Yeah, they managed to squeeze a lot in here and they did it with a lot of detail in the background too that just made it feel so real and dynamic and fun. Like there were just so many things to look at
0: yeah that no, was really cool I, as you say I think Bryce did a really good job of the direction and also she has confirmed on Twitter that the initial sequence of Mando's ship crash landing into the atmosphere of the planet that is a direct reference to her dad's film Apollo 13 because yeah. there's like a shot for shot comparison and yeah it's almost more than an influence it's like basically a remake <laughs> of that sequence but it's a really nice touch I thought it was lovely
1: yeah it is lovely also, we we skipped over this when we were talking about the episode in general, but you know when the Quarren pushes Baby Yoda into the water, I actually screamed with shock. Oh, I really? did not see that coming. <laughs> I was like, Luke Skywalker, no!
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Well, that's good. That shows that it's working on like the level that they want it to work for you, because yeah. that's 100% how the Mando feels in that situation. So I, I loved it, how he didn't even hesitate before like leaping in there to get the baby out. It was like, oh.
1: Amazing that I can manage to still care about Baby Yoda after he ate all those eggs. <laughs> I contain multitudes. What can I say?
0: What What are you, a murder apologist?
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> oh,
0: my God. Okay, right, we've both got places to be, so I'm going to do the closing now. So, I'm Rachel, and you can find me on Twitter at Rachel1918.
1: I'm Kercy, and you can find both of us on Twitter at Horde.